Okay, I think everything's ready. I wanted to reiterate a very important announcement. It's not that we've canceled the rock the next couple of weeks. It's that we just simply moved the service and joined the Urban Refuge for the Christmas Eve service. But instead of having it on the Christmas Eve, when all of you want to be with your families, we're having it on our Friday night, just like we always do, except it's at 7 o'clock at Edgewater. And Edgewater is where we have access. So 55th in Chicago, next Friday night, look forward to having you there, and we'll have sort of a Christmas emphasis to the service. Then the following week, we're having a, Chris, a New Year's Eve service. So we're not meeting on Friday, but we're meeting on Saturday evening, partly because a whole bunch of people are coming back from Faith Walkers with the equipment. So we're joining for the last night of the year, New Year's Eve, Saturday evening at Edgewater, where we also have access, and we'll be joining the Urban Refuge. So please make a point, make a mental note of that. It's not that we're canceling the services, we just moved them. Okay? That's really important. It's great to see so many of you out tonight. We're going to finish up our series on the revolutionary life, and I'd like us to finish up with a word of prayer before I open up the service. So let's bow our heads. Father, we want to thank you tonight that we have found the truth in Jesus Christ, that our search is over, that we found someone more profound, more powerful than we could have ever imagined, who can heal our soul, who can bring us life, who can lead us on the path of life and truth and joy and meaning. What an incredible thing it is, Lord, to think that this Christmas season we celebrate the coming of the Son of God. We celebrate that time when God became a man and lived among us and showed us the way and showed us the truth and showed us the life and showed us the way to eternal life and showed us the way to meaningful living. And yet, Lord, today, some 2,000 years later, millions upon millions, billions of people are missing the one true path to life. And over these last weeks, Lord, we've been talking about the revolutionary life that Jesus Christ came to give us. We pray tonight that you'd once again speak to our hearts. You'd once again drive home to us how profoundly different the life of God is from the life of man. And that you'd help us to choose the life of Christ over the life that we see around us. We commit this night to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I shared with you a few weeks ago, but let me share just again this evening, that the life of Jesus Christ is a different reality. Everything about Christ is different than how we think about life. Everything. Jesus said, if you want to live, die. Jesus said, if you want to keep your life, lose your life. Jesus said, if you really want to receive, then give. Jesus said, don't hate your enemies, but love them and pray for them and do good to those who hurt you. 
Jesus teaches us not to get even with people, but instead to give them a blessing instead. Everything about our world and everything about God's world is an opposite reality. The world tells us to live for ourselves. The world tells us to live for possessions and for money. Jesus Christ tells us to put the kingdom of God first and that he'll take care of the physical needs that we have if we'll make the kingdom of God our primary concern. Tonight, I want to talk with you about Jesus' most revolutionary command. He had many, but this one he gave special emphasis to, and I want to talk with you about it this evening. It's found in John chapter 13. We'll be looking at a number of different passages this evening. But in John chapter 13, Judas had just left the room, and Judas is the one who's going to betray Jesus. It says, as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for me, the Son of Man, to enter my glory, and God will receive glory because of all that happens to me. And God will bring me into my glory very soon. Dear children, how brief are these moments before I must go away and leave you. Then, though you search for me, you cannot come to me, just as I have told the Jewish leaders. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. It's very interesting. Jesus has waited until the hour of his betrayal, at the last supper with his disciples. And it's interesting the language he uses for maybe one of the first times he calls them children. Dear children, the time has come for me to leave. Now you can imagine all that might be going through Jesus' mind at this time. Judas has just left in front of all of them. They don't all understand. Jesus understands. Judas is now gone to sell me for 30 pieces of silver. And it's only a few hours away that he is going to be enduring, and he knows it, incredible physical torment which was betrayed so profoundly in the passion of the Christ. This is not on Jesus' mind. What's on Jesus' mind right now is maybe the most significant command that he gives to his disciples, at least one of them. And he says, a new commandment I'm giving to you. Love each other just as I have loved you. So you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus Christ is now giving them a revolutionary standard for love. And it is a new standard. It's a new commandment. That's why he calls it a new commandment. It's not like the old one. The old one was, love your neighbor as yourself. This one is profoundly different. You know what's different about it? Is Jesus tells them, love them. Love each other more than you love yourself. Jesus is saying to them, this is a new command. 
The old one was love each other like you love yourself. The new one is love each other more than yourself, like Christ is loving you. With a self-sacrificial love, with a commitment, covenant love to one another. That's something completely different. When you boil right down to the human nature in all of us, we will love each other to a degree. And loving each other like you love yourself, the golden rule kind of principle, that's a good thing to live by. Jesus went way beyond that. Here is Jesus. He's on the night he's being betrayed. Now, I don't know about you, but, but if I knew someone just walked out to sell me for 30 pieces of silver, and I'm fully aware of what's coming, I think it'd be a little hard to have a message on my mind. I think if someone came tonight and told me, you know, Mark, before your message, uh, I just need to give you an important message. When you're driving home tonight, you're going to be in a car accident. And, and people are going to drag you from the car and beat you within an inch of your life, send you to the hospital for three months. I think it would be a little bit difficult for me to concentrate on this message. In fact, I might have skipped it. I might have figured, you know, maybe if I mess with fate, if I mess with the timing a little bit, you know, it won't happen. And Jesus is telling his disciples that I want you to live out amongst yourselves. Now, I want to develop this with you, but this is something very important. He's not telling them, go love the world. This is very important you understand this. He's telling them, I want you to love each other the way I loved you. And when you love each other the way I loved you, the world out there will know you're really followers of Jesus Christ. Have you ever, ever seen a father, known a father who really, really, really loved his family? We don't see it very often. I mean, let, let's just be really honest. We don't see it very often in our world today. We see a lot of famous men who abandon their families. Recently on um, Montel. I don't see Montel very often, but I walked in to see my daughter the other day briefly. And she was watching Montel. She's dead. you gotta, you got to see this story. It's about a guy named Billy Dean. Billy Dean's one of my wife's favorite singers. You probably don't know him. That's okay. You don't have to know him. But he's this country singer. And he had a big song, a big hit about five years ago. The reason Montel Williams was interviewing him is because he completely and totally walked away from his, right in the prime of his career, to be a dad to his children and a husband to his wife. And Montel was so blown away by this. And the audience was blown away by it. Now he has a song, Let Them Be Little. But if you don't listen to country music, then you haven't heard it. That's okay. But it's just all this song about let your kids be little because they're going to grow up really fast. And so they brought the kids on and they interviewed the kids about what it was like to have dad walk away from his career. I mean, he wasn't like Garth Brooks, you know. He's had a hundred million sales and albums. He was just starting to break through. Started to be a dad. That's so rare. But you know what else? So attractive. It's so attractive. I remember when I first began following Christ and I met 
I met a couple, they, they happened to be pastors, but they were also fathers. And they had about four or five children each. And I remember just watching the devotion that they had to their wife and to their kids. Those kids were a priority to them. The wife was a priority to them. And you could tell it. You could sense it. And you know what? It sucked you in. You wanted to be part of it. You wanted, in fact, you thought, I want that. This is the power of love for other believers. This is what's sorely missing in so many churches today. See, one of the things you have to understand is that the real power of Christianity is in the local church, not the universal church. The local church. Just like there's power in a family, not in all the families, but, but when you see a family, you get to know that family. You can touch that family. Profoundly affects you. The local church is the same way. We're a local church. A group of people who can know each other, who can live out the revolutionary principles of Jesus Christ, who can practice our Christianity on each other. And if you care about a lost world outside these walls, there's almost 2 billion people in the world that have never even heard the good news of Jesus Christ. 2 billion. And then there's the countless millions that pass us in our life, the thousands that pass us, the, the millions in our country who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the most profound ways you can influence them. You want to influence your family for Jesus Christ? You want to influence your friends for Jesus Christ? Then give an all-out, radical, revolutionary devotion to your local church and love the strangers sitting next to you. Love them. Love them. For many, many years, my wife and I, we've been uh, praying for her her extended family. And my wife has a, a grandmother that's, um, she's a little unique. Um, she's close to 90. She golfs almost every day. You know, she's got her health. She's spry. She's alert. She's very, when I first got to know her, she's very, 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 very cold woman. I, I remember when my one of my children was really small and I was holding them at her house for Christmas and I just commented, isn't she beautiful? And, you know, I hold my kids often. She just said, you know, that's just just not appropriate. You shouldn't say your own children are beautiful and you shouldn't hold them so much. You guys hold your kids too much. And this is, no, this is serious. This is my wife's mom's mother. My wife's mom is the same way. Very distant, very removed, not very affectionate. And this great Kathy's grandmother has not been very positive towards our faith over the years. She's begun to mellow. She's begun to mellow. With all this stuff that's happened with my daughter Jessica... There's been an outpouring of love towards my family. And my wife has not kept that hidden from her relatives. They call because, you know, they're concerned about Jessica. And so as she's gotten older, she's just gotten more frank, Kathy has. Just more upfront. She began to tell 
some of the things that happen. Now, the kind of church that Grandma Parr goes to is, I won't name the denomination, but just your average stale denomination. You say hi to each other. You each drive up in your new Buicks and you comment on each other's nice car. You might see one another at the country club. But you don't love each other. I mean radically love each other. You wouldn't lay down your life for that person in the pew next to you. That's not the brand of Christianity that they smoke there. And at almost 90 years old recently, she commented, she's begun to crack a little bit. My wife, she's kind of a conniver sometimes. So what she did was she had each of my, my grand, uh, you know, Celeste, who's their granddaughter, she bought the Purpose Driven Life books, gave them to Celeste and said, will you send the grandma in your name? They read them then. If we'd have sent them, they wouldn't have read them. And recently, when Kathy was talking with Grandma Parr on the phone, she said to Kathy, as Kathy was telling her, she said, you know, you have a really different church. You people, they really, really care about each other, don't they? Kathy said, oh, Grandma, you just don't know. I mean, 30 years, Grandma, we've been with these people. They're the most loving, caring people in the world. And the, the shell is starting to crack, see? She's never commented on any of my messages. I don't think she's even ever listened. Kathy tries to send her, but she doesn't probably listen. But what got her, what began to crack the shell was the love of the saints. And I'm going to use that word a moment. You are saints. If you know Christ here tonight, you're a saint according to the Bible. The love of the saints for each other, the love of the Christians for one another, shocks the world. In 1 John, John was written by a very special disciple. He was the disciple who was leaning against Jesus at the Last Supper. He was probably one of the youngest disciples, maybe 18 or 19. Most believe he was the disciple who went to follow Jesus and then they grabbed his coat and he ran away naked, afraid. So he was very, very familiar with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he writes in 1 John. 1 John 3.11 This is the message we heard from the beginning. He's talking about the beginning when the Messiah, and I was hanging around the Messiah, Jesus. This is what we heard. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was right. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves we have passed from death to eternal life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another Christian is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is. Because Christ gave his life up for us. And so we also ought to give up our lives for our Christian brothers and sisters. 
But if anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and refuses to help, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us stop just saying we love each other and let us really show it by our actions. It is by our actions that we know we are living in the truth. And then before I comment in 1 John 4, verse 7, listen to this, dear friends. Let us continue to love each other, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His own Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. It is not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Dear friends, since God loved us this much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love has been brought to full expression through us. What does that mean? People say to me, you know, I want to see God, Mark. You know what I tell them? Come and see my family. People say, Mark, I've never seen God. Come and see my church. We haven't seen God. But when we love each other, the full expression of God is right here for anybody who has a humble heart to see it. You see, because this kind of love is rare. It's rare. The kind of love where people are laying down their lives for each other, where they're digging in their pocket to help one another, when they're sacrificing their own self-interest, like Christ did. <clears throat> when you see a husband, you know it's really interesting. Well, no, it's really interesting. The standard for loving each other is the same as the standard for a husband to love his wife. The Bible says in Ephesians, husband, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does it say right here? That Christ gave himself up for us and that's the measure of love and we ought to give up our lives for each other. And so that radical love that we see a husband having for his wife or that he should have, particularly a Christian husband, that ought to be the kind of way we're loving each other. That we love each other. That we love each other. That we care about each other. In all kinds of ways, roommates ought to be loving each other. I don't care if your rights are getting stepped on. You ought to count it a privilege that you got taken advantage of and you're able to show love. Let me show you the definition of love in 1 Corinthians. Now, I'm not saying by that comment that I just made that there's never a time to, in love, go to your roommate and share with them a need that you may see in their life. <clears throat> but I think it would probably do us all a, a lot of good to become a lot more like Christ first. And learn to suffer a wrong. Most of us here know how to have the hair on the back of our neck stand up because we were wronged. But I think we need to learn a lot more about suffering a wrong. Love suffers long and is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. 
Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of when it's been wronged. It's never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through all circumstances. Love will last forever. To ask yourself this question. Do these, do these qualities describe you? Or do they at least describe what you're striving to be like? You know, you know what I find really interesting in Christianity today? You know how, how often guys and girls, they go out and then they break up and they go out and they break up. Hearts get broken. People get hurt. They move on. They go to somebody else. They go off for a while. Hearts get broken. People get hurt. They move on, right? We see it all the time. We see it in Hollywood. We see it with Tom and Penelope. We see it now with Jessica and Nick. We see it with Brad and Jennifer Aniston. You know, did you ever think to yourself for a moment that maybe Angelina Jolie might have a clue that if, if after Mr. and Mrs. Smith, she was so alluring to Brad, what's going to happen when he's with the new babe in another movie and he's got to make out with her? Do you think it would ever dawn on him that, wait a minute, maybe he'll do to me what he just did to Jennifer? But, you know, people in Hollywood aren't too intelligent. What can I say? It's us out here who get to watch it all and learn. And learn. See? But you know what? We point the finger at Hollywood, but you know what? Let's just be honest. That kind of behavior goes on in the church all the time. Somebody hurt our feelings and we won't talk to them. Christ died for the sin. We don't care. Somebody needs a little help, and we don't give it. We ignore it. Somebody doesn't smile at us, and we go look for another church. Do you understand the kind of love that Jesus is talking about? He's talking about commitment, covenant love. I made a covenant with you disciples, and I am never going to leave you or forsake you, and I want you to love each other the same way that I loved you. We're so fickle. American Christians are just so fickle. But you know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for a different standard at the rock. And in fact, in many ways, there is a different standard here. I can't tell you how touched I have been by the love that I have seen exhibited for each other here. But I want to urge you to excel more. There's so much more Christ-likeness that we can embrace, that we can become like. God wants us to put aside our pettiness. God wants us to put aside our jealousies. God wants us to put aside our self-interest. And God wants us loving one another freely, fully, without reservation, keeping no record of wrongs. Never losing faith in one another. No matter how difficult the circumstances get, we love each other. We love each other. This church, you know, it's not about the star system. You know, oh, Pastor so-and-so, he's the star. It's about loving one another. Which means that if, if one of the people that you thought was so popular and so cool, The Rock, left, we still have each other. We're not about that. We're about loving each other. 
caring for one another, and being a light to the world that knows nothing about love. Listen to me. They know nothing about love. They cannot know anything about love. Do you know why? Because they have not been born of God. The only people who possess real love are those who have been born of God. They don't know what love looks like, smells like, tastes like. All they know is about self-preservation. It's a deal they make. Even in marriage, it's a deal. Look, you hold your end up, I'll hold my end up. But, but, if you start, if you start doing things that annoy me, and you start doing things long enough that really bother me, well, then you're not holding your end up, and I'm not going to hold my end up either. We're very good about I love you because you're this, because you're that. But what happens if they're no longer that? What happens when they're no longer attractive to you? And I don't just mean outwardly. Maybe they're just not attractive anymore. Maybe you just don't like the deal that you seem to got. What then? Will you be like Christ? Listen, you think you're a great deal for Jesus? You know what? Fortunately, he brainwashed himself and thinks he got a great deal when he got you. When he got me. I mean, you know, I'm stunned still to this day. I'm stunned because I know me. I live with me. I live in me. I see me every single day. To stop and imagine that God loves me all the time, every minute, all throughout my days without reservation, without holding back, without for a moment, just sort of, oh, I think I'll reconsider this thing with Mark. That's how he wants us to love each other. He wants us to love each other. I was reading a story one time, true story about these two missionaries. There was a third missionary. He was kind of the leader and he was observing this. They were working on some project and they were in an argument over how the project should be done. Missionary A said to missionary B, basically, listen, these were the directions we were given and this is how we need to do it. Missionary B argued back, well, I think we should try it this way. And this argument ensued. So they parted ways. Later on, the leader, Missionary C, went up to Missionary A and said, I I have a question for you. You, I noticed that the project didn't get done. And he said, yeah, well, I wanted to do the way that the instructions were given to us, but that person didn't cooperate. And I knew I was right. The leader asked him, so you're convinced you were right about this issue? He said, absolutely I was right. I was going by the book. I was right. He said, can I ask you a question? Do you think you can ever be right when you're not responding in love? The answer, of course, is no. But we're often more interested in being right than being loving. We're often more interested in being right and asserting our right than being walked on. 
I shared with you a few weeks ago at Access, that in America, it's all about your rights. America's built on rights. Now, I think it's great that all men and women, when you compare with the brutality of the rest of the world or much of the rest of the world, should be treated equally. I understand that. But listen, you're going to have to decide if you're going to live as a citizen of America or a citizen of heaven. And if you're going to live as a citizen of heaven, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ gave up his rights. And if you're ever going to imitate and mimic the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ, it's going to involve you laying aside your rights and your own self-interest. Probably some of the biggest lessons I've learned, painful lessons, has been in marriage. In marriage, when I think to myself, but I'm right, and I know this is the right way, and I'm supposed to be the leader. And my wife has a different way. Or she has a different opinion. And I find myself just kind of pulling back and thinking, you know, well, no, I'm not, you're, not, you're not being very nice to me. I'm, I'm not going to love you. No, I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm just as human as anybody else. And when you've been married 28 years, believe me, the honeymoon has gone a long, long time ago. Now it's the reality. The reality every single day. Will I embrace their idiosyncrasies? Will I embrace the stuff I hate? Will I embrace the things I don't like? See, you realize once you're in it for 28 years, there's, there's a number of things here that aren't going to change. They, they aren't going to change. They aren't. I don't care how Christ-like she gets. They aren't going to change. Her personality is not going to change. That's who she is. And, of course, she's realized mine isn't either. I may get more like Jesus, but I'm still in the same package. And you find out, well, I choose love. Because you know what? You know, biblical love, let me share something. Biblical love costs you. Biblical love hurts. I was driving a somewhere this morning, I don't remember where it was, and I had the radio on, and Tracy Chapman and B.B. King, must have been last night, the thrill is gone, the thrill is gone, have you ever heard that song? The thrill is gone, what, every song almost you hear, in fact, I'm getting sick of every song being about a guy or a girl, it just gets so old, you know, it's like, how many million songs is it going to be about a guy or a girl? Thrill is gone, love hurts, love ain't supposed to feel this bad, guess what? Love does feel bad. That's how you know it's real. That's how you know you're really loving. The world, listen, listen, now listen really carefully to this. Every one of us in this room can get into an exciting, phenomenal, titillating, thrilling, electrifying relationship about every other year. It's awesome. It's great. It's just like Hollywood. It's Tom and Nicole. That was a good career move for a while. Oh, and then after they get a little old. Penelope was exciting, man. And now there's Katie. Anybody, anybody 
can do that. But, but it's a whole other thing to love when you go, you know, every fiber of my being, I don't really want to love you anymore. I don't like things about you. The things about you that bother me. But I'm going to love you. And I'm going to lay my life down for you. That's what church is all about. That's why we're different than the world out there. That's why we're part of a different kingdom. See, we all have, listen, we all have an ugly flesh, all of us, me included. We're all kind of like porcupines. I like I have a friend, he shares this analogy. We're like porcupines. We're cold. We want to get close to each other, but our quills prick each other. We've got the flesh, every single one of us. Love learns to overlook the flesh. Love makes allowance for the faults of others because of your love. Love overlooks them. The Bible says in Peter, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, above all else, love one another deeply, for love covers a multitude of sin. Love one another deeply. The secret to my marriage, the secret to my Christianity as far as my relationships with other people, is not about what have they done for me lately or what can they do for me. Fact of the matter is, the secret to my pastoring with Brent for these 20 years has not been, we're just so madly in love with you, man. We golf together. We go on vacations together. We scuba dive together. No, we really clash all the time. In every meeting that he and I are in together, we clash. We love each other. We love each other. And we overlook those faults in each other. We overlook our huge personality and temperament differences. And that's the secret of my marriage. Now, my marriage is a little different than my relationship with Brent. Granted, it's different. And I'm glad for that. But, you know, if you were to ask Kathy on any given day or ask me, you know, there's just things that, well, it's, it's just the way it is. I either choose to fan my flame and say, I'm going to love this woman with everything that I have because of what Christ did for us, or I choose to love her based on her lovability factor. And guess what? I don't care what woman you are in this room today. Your lovability factor ebbs and flows. One day it's, ah, off the charts. Other days it's like, oh, suckville. It's like, it's like from circumstances, how about I just trade you in? And she can think the same thing about me. Same is true with guys. Same is true with our church. Same is true with brothers and sisters. Some days, oh man, the rock, it's the most incredible thing in the whole world. And next month, you know, depends on your mood. Depends on what your friend's been telling you. Whispering in your ear. Yeah, the rock's kind of like... It's a sinking ship, man. Don't want to be part of that. Or we can decide, you know what? I'm going to love each other, man. I'm going to make this thing great. And that's what I decided to do with my marriage. I really mean that. I decided I'm going to give my marriage everything I have. I'm going to love Kathy with everything I have. I'm going to obey what God asked me to do and trust him 
that it's the best thing to do. Trust him that it's the best thing to do. And man, I wouldn't trade it. I would not trade my marriage. I would not trade my church. I wouldn't trade you guys. Did you know that? You did. did you know that's how I feel about you? I would not trade you. You wouldn't believe all the struggles, all the dysfunctionality in this room, all the different struggles that young men and women have. I love young people. I care about you. I pray for you. I want your best interest. I view myself as your servant. I love you. I love this church. I love what God is doing here in your lives. And I am committed by the grace of God to your success. That's my desire. My desire is for your good. You know, we're kind of a, I hope you take this well. I mean this well. We're kind of a gathering of misfits. Have you ever noticed that? And I mean that in love. You know, we're not the, we're not the cool Abercrombie poster crowd. There's a whole lot of people in recovery in this auditorium. There's a whole lot of people grew up pretty dysfunctional backgrounds. And I love it. Because, you know, God, he just brings all the weak together. We're all in the same boat. And he saved us. And we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And God wants us to lay our lives down for each other. I have more I want to share, but we're out of time. And um, so I'm going to pray. And then I have something special I would like to do tonight. You know, you may or may not think it's special, but it's from my heart. I have a suitcase here full of gifts. And I have one for each of you tonight. Over the last four years, I've been working on a CD and I finally got it finished. And so I have the CD and I have the lyrics. And then I have a little card for those of you that like to download it from the webpage online. And so you can do that if you'd rather not have one. So I'm going to stay up here tonight after I pray. And you're more than welcome to come down. And I would like to give one to you personally. There are instructions, believe it or not. You could probably believe it coming from me. There are instructions on the back of the CD as to how to use it. And I really mean it. It's, it's not normal music. And so if you follow the instructions, I believe you'll get the most out of it. Anyway, it's kind of a Christmas present to you guys. I really do love and care for you. And you're in my prayers. And um, I just thank God for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you tonight for the incredible love of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for us. You know, Lord, what's interesting is our life is often represented by our money. And I don't mean that in a facetious way. We go out every day and with sometimes blood, but often sweat and tears and hard work, our time is invested at some vocation, some job. And at the end of that week, we're handed a paycheck. That paycheck represents an investment of our life and our time. And when we give from that which we work so hard for to someone who did nothing for it, nothing to deserve it, but because we love them, we imitate Christ. When we give of our time, when we share our whatever it is we have, 
to help our brother or sister in need. We send a message to the world that Jesus Christ is real, that Jesus Christ is alive, and we're really his followers. I pray, Lord, and we go into the year 2006, that you'd make us a church known for love, for godly, Christ-like love for each other. And we'd crush gossip, we'd crush slander, we'd crush speaking poorly about one another and that we'd really demonstrate with our lives a revolutionary love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'll be up here. You come up at your leisure, all right?